Lee, welcome back to our show and the studio, Representative Lindsay Sabadosa. Lindsay Sabadosa is the representative for the 1st Hampshire District, and we are thrilled that she's with us every month. It is, for those who keep track of such things, the third Friday of the month, and here we are. Representative Sabadosa, thank you so much for being with us. I'd like to start by backfilling a bit. For those of our listeners who don't memorize these things, that would include me, could you tell our listeners which towns and cities, city in the district you represent? I would be so impressed if anyone else had memorized this information. But the First Hampshire District, which changed with redistricting, is now comprised of Northampton, Hatfield, West Hampton, as well as Williamsburg, Chesterfield, Goshen, Cummington, Plainfield, and Worthington. Reminds me a little bit of the uh, case I had years and years and years ago as a young lawyer and I, someone who was charged with operating under the influence and they go through their usual field sobriety test and they said, and then I gave them the, my own field sobriety test, wrote the officer. I told them to say the alphabet backwards. <laughs> I said, whoa, I think we'd all fail that test. Yeah. So interestingly, though, when I was six, I spent a lot of time memorizing the alphabet backwards. So that is one of my <laughs> hidden talents. I can still do it. There was a song, and I learned it by song. I'm All really right. afraid to do this. You want to do that for us? Can you really? I don't, I don't know that anyone wants to hear that, but yes, I can do that. I, I'm interested. I'm uh, interested, too. All right. Uh, now now I'm on the spot. All right. Z-Y-X-W-U. Z-Y-X-W-U. No, I can't do it. I'm not, no, we're not going to do it we anymore. put her on the spot. <laughs> on the spot. Plus, I'd have to sing, and that I really don't want to do. I'm sorry. <laughs> Right. Another part of that test, and they say, don't don't sing the alphabet. Yes. Yeah, don't do that. Okay, Representative Sabadosa from the 1st Hampshire District. This is the day in which bills, new bills for this new legislative session, are due to be filed. And every representative and senator has bills that they want. Uh, there are, I think, thousands that are actually uh, filed by the totality of the uh, elected officials in the state house and senate i would like to talk to you today about the bills that you are going to be advocating the bills you are sponsoring so i'm game to hear what you think your priorities will be the bills that you will be advocating for and trying to shepherd through the legislature well, you're right. Today is the, the last day for timely filed bills. So we will be filing up until 5 p.m. this evening. Uh, after that, we enter into a co-sponsorship period. So that means we can add our name to other people's work and as a sign of support. So it is an, an incredibly busy and, and very stressful time in the legislature. There's a lot of uh, a lot of jockeying and trying to make sure that we get everything in and, and a lot of requests, a lot of last minute requests are coming in. So um, if I don't speak in complete sentences today, that is just a sign of the stress that we are going through. So be forewarned. Um, but I am really excited about several pieces of legislation I'm filing. Um, we have a few more bills to get in, but uh, we're, we're I think we're going to be around 40 uh, by the end of the day. You personally will sp- introduce into the legislature as the sponsor some 40 bills. That is correct, yes. I don't mean to have you negotiating against yourself, but of those 40, without identifying any ones that are not sort of your favorites or those that are more unlikely, what do you, what do you think the odds are or how many, I guess I'd rather put it that way, what do you think is a percentage of those bills or parts of those bills or in combination with other bills will actually end up at law at the end of this session? Well, last session, I, I think we had about 
12 or 15 that were included in, in some piece of legislation or passed on their own. So it really depends on the session and what we're going to be taking up. I was talking to an advocate yesterday who said sometimes we're filing these bills because we want to put a stake in the ground. We want people to understand where our position is on that given topic. So when the legislature does get around to doing maybe another omnibus package on maternal health, maybe an omnibus package on uh, on gun control, which you know is one of the things we've, we've heard a lot about that may happen this session, uh, people file those bills because they want to be ready. They want their idea included. It's much easier to have that conversation about an amendment. If you've already had a hearing for a bill, you've already had a conversation with the chair, people know the ideas out there, and it started to be vetted a little bit. So I think that's part of the reason you're seeing such a broad range of legislation being filed. So Representative Sabadosa, tell us or tell us about a few of the bills that you are backing and that you're sponsoring and that have your name on them? Well, one of the pieces of legislation that I'm filing that I'm really, really proud of and that we've worked incredibly hard on, um, people should understand while bill filing feels like a, a sprint towards tonight at 5 p.m., We've been working on a lot of these bills for months now, even before the last session ended, and this bill is one of those examples. Um, It's called the Consumer Health Protection Act. It is a piece of legislation that I'm filing, I'm co-leading on with Rep. Owens uh, out of Watertown and a new senator, uh, Senator Robin Kennedy out of Worcester. And this bill basically protects consumer health data that is not covered by HIPAA. So it, first of all, bans... HIPAA being the Federal Privacy Act. Thank you, yes. And HIPAA generally applies to medical information. Um, So this is also medical information that is not covered by HIPAA. So, for example, um, you may give your... You may share medical information on an app. I think a lot of us do, right? I have something on my phone that counts how many steps I take. People monitor their sleep. we We do all kinds of things with our phones and with digital devices now. There's nothing that's protecting that information from being sold to third parties, and there's nothing that's letting you know what happens to your information once you share it. So this bill, uh, first of all, puts a ban on the sale of information, and then it requires informed consent. So at the very least, consumers know what's happening to their data. And I'm really excited about this in particular because we're working with other states. Uh, We've had deep conversations with California, Washington, New York, about how we protect privacy in this sort of hyper-technical world that we live in. And those states have bills like this? There are bills being introduced in all of those states that are similar, yes. Okay. Pardon my ignorance about this, but how can a state control what a technology company does that is a nationwide or worldwide has that kind of reach? We can't control the entire company, but we can certainly control what happens within the confines of our state. So if someone is using an app within Massachusetts, the company would be required to have an an informed consent piece. So it would be an opt-in, not an opt-out, so that consumers would be protected and know what's happening with their data. Do you think that this is a nationwide kind of movement? You identify four other states where bills like this, and it's really interesting. I just have not heard much about it. I do think that it will become a nationwide movement. I think that you know the United States is really behind one of the things I've heard in conversations, and we've met with a lot of uh, data protection companies and, and organizations, advocacy groups across the country, really. And one of the things we hear from them all the time is we are so far behind in protecting privacy of our citizens. If you go to the EU, you always you get those little things all the time that say, are you okay with us sharing your information? This is what we do with your information. It pops up on any website. Even if you're using a website that 
that's based in the United States, if you travel overseas, you'll get that information about how your data is being used that you would not get at home. And I think our argument is that our citizens deserve that same right to privacy as, uh, as citizens in the rest of the world receive. Do you anticipate there's going to be pushback from various corporations in the legislature? And what is the antidote to that kind of effort being, uh, well, the pushback? So we do, of course, anticipate that there's pushback. Um, we have some really great data privacy attorneys uh, working with us on this. And uh, there are actually some tech companies, though, who are starting to say, you know, we really should be doing this. We should. We want people to feel comfortable using our products. And this is a way that we can go one step forward to sort of get a leg up on other, other companies. So we have some actual tech allies who are willing to work with us to say, like, no, this, this is really common sense. This is not a heavy lift. Um, it's just one little measure of security. I'm wondering if you'll have support from the biotech companies, which are so important in the eastern part of the state in particular. I can assure you that we will be talking to as many of them as will sit down with us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I know another one of the bills that you are sponsoring is pointed at, and I'd maybe even be titled Supporting Local Journalism. Yes. Can you tell us about that, please? Yes. So, you know, we've spent a lot of time in my office talking about what we can do to support local journalism. And it's, it's challenging from a legislative perspective because you don't want to be viewed as influencing journalism in any way. But at the same time, I think we recognize that local papers are struggling. Uh, it's harder and harder to, to get news in your own community. And we understand the importance of that. So, um, again, one one of the things I like to do is look at other states, look at what other people are proposing. And we couldn't find anything on the state level, but we did find a really good national bill. So what we're doing in this piece of legislation, and I should say the national bill didn't pass, but Massachusetts can move ahead even when the federal government was unable. What this bill does is it creates a series of uh, tax incentives. So first for um, right, individuals who subscribe to their local newspaper, we offer a tax credit in the bill up to $250 so that you can write off your subscription to your local paper. We provide incentives for local newspapers that hire journalists. Um, so there's an ability to write off part of those wages. And then we also have a component of the bill that offers a credit to advertisers in local papers. And would this support for local journalism apply to large papers such as the Boston Globe and as well as, I take it, the Daily Hampshire Gazette, the Greenfield Recorder, the Berkshire Eagle, and so on? So we, it, it very likely would, because we set, um, the num we set the definition of local journalism by the number of employees, and we actually set it higher, because I think we want to make sure that we're supporting even newspapers like the Boston Globe, which we, we know have been struggling. Um, the bill is not permanent. We don't keep these tax credits in place forever, but we think that if we can get something in that provides a bump and a little bit of extra support, um, it might might be a way to sort of um, bolster uh, an industry that, that needs a lot of help right now. Well, sure. And readership, of course, is the number that advertisers really care about. Yeah. And if readers read and pick up newspapers, which is not something that's common for just Tyler, how to put this generationally, um, <laughs> probably, but for the fact that we subscribe to most of them here at the station, you, do you read a you read a newspaper regularly, or would you read a newspaper regularly? I usually go online. I mean, I get everything online, and and this does allow for online subscriptions as well. So yeah. we're, you know, we're certainly not eliminating that. We recognize the way the industry is changing, but we thought with a three prong approach, you know, advertising, hiring those local journalists, and also encouraging subscription, 
that might be enough to help uh, add some juice back in. And I think that one of the importance of local journalism is that it is a niche that is disappearing in many communities mm-hmm. because they don't have a station, frankly, like ours. They don't have a paper like the Daily Hampshire Gazette or the Greenfield Recorder or the Berkshire Eagle. Of course, the Holyoke Transcript disappeared years yeah. ago. And what a hole in that community to not have a local newspaper, a daily local newspaper. Well, and, and interestingly, there's another bill. It's it's not mine. I believe it's Rep. Pignatelli's that was filed that I, I, I was looking at. And it um, is about publishing legal notices because there are so many communities mm-hmm. that don't have a local newspaper. And I think that's something we don't think about. But our local newspaper also provides that function of legal notices, real estate transactions, you know, things that we do need to have access to. Um, so they're trying to put that online now because a lot of papers don't do that. So it's interesting how um, it really does affect a community. Yeah, and and the, the obituaries are really important. Yes. Dear Abby is really important. <laughs> the letters to the editor from Bill Newman. <laughs> yes. yes, always. <laughs> not, let's not forget the astrology, daily astrology. Yes. Okay, I, do we, are we going to confess that we read that? No, we're not going to confess. I think but, he just did, though, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of just did. Okay, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk further with Representative Lindsay Sabadoso. I want to ask her about the criminal justice bill that she is sponsoring with protection for juveniles. You want to hear this. We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to, you know, elicit fear and power and control uh, by white supremacists. And it's not an issue that's going away easily. 101.5, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Cheddar. It's not just a cheese. It's a place. It all started in the 12th century in the caves of the English village of cheddar. In the caves, the temperature and humidity made it the perfect place to mature a cheese. Imagine having to go spelunking for cheddar. Now it's easier. They still make cheddar in cheddar, but now they make it in Scotland, Ireland, California, Oregon, and Cummington. If you like cheddar, you better get a cheddar at State Street in Northampton or Cooper's Corner in Florence. So much easier than cave digging. Oh, they've got cheddar from jolly old England, but they have natural cheddar with porter from Ireland. They've got cloth-bound cheddar from Grace Hill in Cummington and award-winning organic cheddar from Robinson Farm in Hardwick. Where better to get a cheddar made right here in Western Mass than right here in Western Mass at State Street in Cooper's, your cheddar headquarters. But enough with the cheesy puns. You deserve cheddar than that. Don't go all the way to Cheddar, England to get a cheddar. Get your cheddar at State Street in Northampton and Cooper's in Florence. Your big day is almost here. After personalizing 160 invitations, selecting custom floral arrangements, designing a drop-dead gorgeous wedding dress, and a gazillion other not-so-small details, you can rest assured that you've chosen the perfect destination. The Roosevelt Room at Union Station, one of New England's most unique wedding banquet facilities. The finest food and services available for a -a once-in-a-lifetime celebration, second to none. The Roosevelt Room at Union Station, downtown Northampton, You go, girl. Authorization, enrollment, and activation activities are required. Receive all services. Contact institution for details. Two lattes, please. On me. Yeah? My free Kasasa cash back checking account surprised me with sweet cash rewards. 
so thoughtful. Because Sasa Cashback simply appreciates me. It also refunds my ATM withdrawal fees. Huh, my Megabank account just takes money out every month without even asking. Sounds like it's time to move on. Take back the special treatment you deserve with Casasa Cashback. Ask for Casasa by name at Franklin First or online at franklinfirst.org. Federally insured by NCUA. At PV Squared Solar, we live by our mission, energizing a brighter future for people and planet. This year, we are celebrating our 20th anniversary. 20 years of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar. 20 years of relationships founded on trust and clean energy. 20 years of powerful cooperation. Thank you for the partnerships along the way, and we look forward to serving this community for 20 years more. Happy birthday, PV Squared! Learn more at pvsquared.coop. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa, the representative for the 1st Hampshire District. Today is the day when timely filed bills uh, are due in the legislature. The legislators have until 5 o'clock tonight to file their bills. There is something called a late filed bill, not advised most of the time, but it's not a total drop dead date, right? It's absolutely not a total drop dead date. So you can late file a bill after today. You just have to deal with something called Joint Rule 12, which means your bill, rather than getting assigned to a a committee, goes to the rules committee. You have to write a letter to the chairman, often call the chairman and ask that it be released. And then the House and the Senate have to concur and send your bill to another committee. So not impossible, just a few more steps. Joint Bill 12. Who joint, knew? Ru- joint Rule 12. <laughs> For those of you who are not down in the weeds with us, we're going to move along. Yes, <laughs> I know that's not super interesting. I I, but but actually, it, it is. It's kind of a... Uh, uh, Safety valve for a legislator to say something's important. We really need to do that this session. But really, we do have a deadline that's meaningful. You have to go through hoops if you're going to get a late filed bill considered. Right. But I will say, like when we did the police reform bill, a lot of that legislation was late filed. It went through Joint Rule 12 and was then used as the basis for police reform, both in the Senate and the House. Well, since you mentioned police reform, I'd like to hear about the bill you are sponsoring about criminal justice and juveniles. Yes. So this bill is something that I have been working on in conjunction with Strategies for Youth, uh, which focuses on criminal justice reform, particularly for for young offenders. Uh, And the bill basically, it it defines a juvenile as is currently defined in statute. So someone uh, right up until their, their 19th birthday, there has long been a push to sort of raise that up to 25. But for right now, it's right until you turn 19. And uh, it just, it talks about interrogations and the way uh, juveniles can be questioned. And it says that police are not allowed to use deceptive practices in juvenile interrogations. Um, So that basically means the police can't lie to you. They can't say, oh, your friend said you did it. You know, we have this on tape when they don't actually have it on tape. And the reason being is that a lot of times with with juvenile defendants, they will admit to things that they didn't do. Um, and and under that pressure, you know, admit to things and then potentially end up in, in the juvenile system, which is something we don't want. Which I think to a lot of listeners may sound unlikely. Why would someone to confess to something they didn't do? But in fact, I, I've seen that. I've seen it in my practice. I know what happened. Mm-hmm. I After an enormous amount of time with a client, you can understand why it happened and how it happened. But you go in front of a jury and say, oh, they confessed, but uh, they didn't really mean it or it's not what it sounds like or all that. And it sounds really unlikely to people. 
notwithstanding the decades of studies that have been done on false confessions. Right. And that's why, I mean, I think that, quite honestly, it feels like this should be broader, right? It should probably go even beyond juveniles. But I think we we wanted to start here because, again, we're putting the stake in the sand, making the argument that this is really important, and we're hopeful that there will be some sort of criminal justice-related bill that moves forward this session and that this can be part of it. So while we, before we escape the weeds altogether, this kind of a bill, because of its content, would go to a committee or would it go to a committee that specializes in criminal justice? So this bill is very likely, I would say it's probably likely to go before the Judiciary Committee, but it could, in theory, go to public safety, but I, I would guess judiciary. It is up to the House clerk. Uh, to decide the house where bills clerk the house decides clerk. this yes wow so the, the who's house, the house clerk <laughs> Stephen James is the house clerk he is delightful um, I think everybody's favorite and uh, he has a whole team is of this people. a job a, a appointed job or it, it, it to be the chief clerk is actually an appointed job when we go in at the beginning of session and we select our nomination for speaker people don't know this but right after that there is a nomination for the clerk. And so speeches are given. And, and the is clerk, the clerk a member of the House? A clerk is not the member of a House. It is a paid position. Um, and so when bills are filed, they go to his office, and he and his staff review them. They often look at the title of the bill and also the section of the Mass General Law that it's trying to amend. And based on those two things, they'll assign it to a committee, which is why sometimes uh, the same thing happens in the Senate with a Senate clerk, but sometimes you'll see bills that are the same <laughs> sent to one committee in the House and to a different committee in the Senate. Senate. And there are some joint committees. There are mostly joint committees, yes. So the Committee uh, on Judiciary is joined, public health, healthcare financing. There are very few committees that are only one body, and they don't generally have a lot of bills reported to them. The Committee on Rules is not a joint committee. Um, the Committee on Ethics, uh, I think, I'm trying to remember what else. I don't think Ways and Means is actually a joint committee, although it can meet jointly if it wants to. Um, so, yeah, But most committees are joint. Which means House and Senators, House members and Senators are both involved. And most bills will have an H number, a House number, as well as an S number, a Senate number? Most bills will. Um, there are definitely instances where, uh, you know, there are some bills that I'm filing where they only have an H. There are often bills that only have an S, and that just means that the there hasn't been a, a Senate or House partner found for that piece of legislation, or sometimes there doesn't really need to be. Like for the home rule petitions, um, I'll often file those bills, and then Senator Comerford or Senator Mark will be the second person on that bill, but they don't need to file the same thing in the Senate. Would you spend a minute with us on what a home rule bill or home rule petition is? Certainly, because I have I have several of them <laughs> on my plate this session. Uh, a home rule petition is a piece of legislation that comes to us from a city or town. So it's something that the local government approved, and they ask us to, uh, to bring forward in the legislature so that that community can have special permission to do something that is unique within the Mass General Law. So for example, um, one of the pieces of legislation that we're refiling is around ranked choice voting. Ranked choice voting is not something that is available to all municipalities in the Commonwealth, but Northampton is asking for special permission to use a different form of, uh, of counting election results. And that will come to you? It's already in. So the city has sent me that petition, and I've I filed it, and we will go through the process again. And did that happen 
uh, I know not your district, um, even though you can say your town's backwards and spell them backwards while you're singing <laughs> on one leg with your, with your arm in the air. And jumping up and down. <laughs> yeah. You forgot that part. Yeah, yes. I'm sorry. I'm uh, sorry. Um, is that what happened with East Hampton? Yes, it was exactly the same thing. East Hampton filed a home rule petition and asked for permission to use ranked choice voting. I'd like to ask you about a couple of other bills, if I might, Representative Sabadoso. One is you have a bill that deals with contraception. Yes, I'm also really excited about this bill. So um, this is something that I am working on with Christine Barber out of Somerville and uh, Senator Moore out of Worcester. Lots of Worcester partners this time around. Um, And basically it is uh, following, again, a national trend of allowing pharmacists to prescribe hormonal contraception. So instead of going to your primary care physician, you could go to a pharmacist and you could get a prescription for birth control. And that may sound strange to people, but if you do not have a primary care physician right now, it is incredibly difficult to find one. And the feedback that we're getting from organizations like Healthcare for All, which if people don't know, is a great advocacy group and um, in the state that you can call if you need help getting healthcare. Um, they can direct you to Mass Health, to Health Connector, to private insurance. They can explain how subsidies work. They're a wonderful resource. And w- on their call line, one of the things we're hearing is people call and they say they want to find a PCP, they want to get a primary care physician, they want access to birth control, and then they call back six months later without a PCP and they've become pregnant, which was not their intention. So this is something that um, that 16 states have done, including California. It has the support of um, ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, um, and we're, we're really excited about it. And interestingly, just yesterday, a Republican congresswoman from South Carolina announced that the Republican Party in the House should be focused on this piece of legislation <laughs> on the federal level. So uh, it's it's interesting that it has some real bipartisan support. One congresswoman. One congresswoman. She said, stop passing these anti-choice laws and let's focus on something real. This is actually helpful. So uh, That's really interesting. Yeah, we, we were pretty excited. I read it in Politico yesterday morning and thought, oh, great, look it. <laughs> you have a friend you didn't know <laughs> about in South Carolina. <laughs> that's really interesting. Exactly. Well, we have just a minute left. I know there's one other piece of legislation you're excited about that forms or amends the ACEs. Yes. Um, so we're, we're refiling uh, the ACEs bill, although we've given it a new name. We're calling it Equi- Equitable Approaches to Public Health. So it's a little bit of a, a less sexy name than ACEs. But really what we wanted to do with that is, is to pull the bill away from any conversation about police reform, because this bill at its core is not about police reform. It's about improving public health, mental health, and behavioral health in our communities. And so we're hoping that by reframing the conversation, we'll get a little bit further. You know, the state has made enormous progress with rolling out the 988 number. Um, we're seeing that uh, the effects of that nationally and really the next prong after just getting the number out there and telling people what it is, which if you don't know, 988 is an alternative number that you can call if you are having a behavioral health crisis or someone you love. Is As opposed to calling 911 and fearing Ex- that the police will come. Exactly. This is kind of something that uh, fits into Local municipalities work on alternatives to policing or having embedded social workers, helping professions, professionals with the police and or before yes. the police, all of those sorts of efforts. Yeah, and 988 is a national number. This was an act passed by Congress. But the second prong of 988 is not only having the number in place, but making sure that every community has the right response. And so we're hoping with this new, this redrafted ACEs, the Equitable Approaches to Public Health, we can help Massachusetts really set up a strong um 
a strong second prong to this approach to really make sure that communities have access to, um, to the services that they need. We are going to leave it there. We have been speaking with State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa, representative from and for the 1st Hampshire District. Thanks so much for being with us today. Really appreciated all that information. Thank you so much. And good luck in the session. I appreciate it. Get in on the conversation. Call 413-586-7140. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Northampton City Council has voted yes on putting a limit on the number of retail cannabis dispensaries in the city. The proposed cap is set at 12 dispensaries. The city currently has 11 open to the public. Supporters of the ordinance cited the oversaturation of the cannabis industry within the city, as well as the possible health effects on local youth. The ordinance now goes to the mayor who can sign it or veto it and send it back to city council. Statehouse legislators are urging the Department of Public Utilities to take immediate action about the skyrocketing utility costs and reverse the rate hikes. In a letter to DPU Chair Matthew Nelson, legislators noted that fuel prices have dropped since DPU approved the rate increases and stated it is the DPU's duty to protect citizens from unfair and deeply damaging prices. Utility providers have blamed global factors such as the Russian invasion of Ukraine and inflation for the increase, which has surged in some cases by a whopping 54.6% for electric customers and 28.6% for natural gas. A DPU spokesperson said the state agency is reviewing the legislator's letter and will follow up with the representatives. For WHMP News, I'm Stefan Ward-Wheaton. And a winter parking ban is in effect in Greenfield. Parking on both sides of the street is prohibited on all streets until 11 p.m. tonight. Any vehicles found in violation of the parking ban will be towed at the owner's expense. Snow will be steadiest this morning, otherwise it's occasional light snow today, a high of 34 to 38. The snow showers and flurries continue this evening with an overnight low of 22 to 28. All told, a coating to a couple of inches in the greater Northampton area, but up to six inches of snow in parts of Franklin County. Mostly cloudy tomorrow, a high of 34 to 38. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El gobierno de Estados Unidos se topó con su límite de deuda el jueves, lo que llevó al Departamento del Tesoro a tomar medidas contables extraordinarias para evitar el incumplimiento, ya que las fricciones entre el presidente Joe Biden y los republicanos de la Cámara generaron preocupación sobre si Estados Unidos puede eludir una crisis económica. El Departamento del Tesoro dijo en una carta a los líderes del Congreso que había comenzado a tomar medidas extraordinarias, ya que el gobierno se había topado con su capacidad legal de endeudamiento de 31.3 billones de dólares. Hasta ahora, los mercados se mantienen relativamente tranquilos, dado que el gobierno puede depender temporalmente de los ajustes contables para permanecer abiertos y cualquier amenaza a la economía estaría a varios meses de distancia. Incluso muchos analistas preocupados asumen que habrá un trato. Pero este momento en particular parece más tenso que los roces anteriores con el límite de la deuda debido a las amplias diferencias entre Biden y el nuevo presidente de la Cámara de Representantes, Kevin McCarthy, quien preside un grupo republicano inquieto. Esas diferencias aumentan el riesgo de que el gobierno pueda incumplir sus obligaciones por razones políticas. Eso podría sacudir los mercados financieros y hundir a la economía más grande del mundo en una recesión prevenible. 
En otras informaciones, casi dos horas después de reunirse a puerta cerrada, la Junta de Gobierno de la Compañía Eléctrica de Puerto Rico salió el jueves para anunciar brevemente que aprobaba un plan para privatizar la generación eléctrica en la isla. No se proporcionaron otros detalles, incluido el nombre de la empresa seleccionada o cuánto se le pagará, ya que los puertorriqueños están cada vez más enojados y exasperados con el secreto que rodea el impulso para privatizar la operación y el mantenimiento de las unidades de generación de energía eléctrica. La red eléctrica de Puerto Rico ha sido inestable durante mucho tiempo debido a la falta de mantenimiento e inversión. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Hollywood Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is our weekly segment, Your State, You, with Max Page, who is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. Max is with us every week, and I really appreciate your time and devotion to this community through this uh, time that you spend with us, Max. I know that you were listening at least to the end of our interview with Representative Lindsay Sabadosa because today is the filing deadline for bills for this legislative session. I assume that the Massachusetts Teachers Association has legislative priorities for this session, and I'd appreciate it if you would share those with us. Thanks, Bill. Yes, we do. And um, a, a lot of it comes out of uh, the fair share amendment victory last fall, November 8th, when we won the so-called millionaires tax, and the MTA was central to that victory, taxing uh, multimillionaires and billionaires a little more um, in order to have funds for public education and transportation. And that is now part of our constitution as of January 1. So um, the first part of our legislative agenda is addressing a long um, missed opportunity to reinvest in public higher education. And as listeners know, I otherwise, I grew up in Amherst, went to the public schools there. My um, mother was a public school principal. My dad taught at UMass and I teach at UMass as does my wife. And so the, the the need for investment in public higher education is at the top of our list. And so Joe Comerford, our state senator, um, and also Pat Duffy um, from Holyoke, Holyoke Rep, will be part of that team that is filing what's called the Cherish Act to make for debt-free public higher education and also high quality green buildings, um, fair pay and sufficient staffing to have a truly top of the nation public higher education system. Is this all about money, or is this about how to direct money, or is this about changing policies as well as uh, distributing funds? Tell us more about that. If well, you like. it, the, the bill is significantly about funds, but in a variety of different ways. It's about, as I said, making sure to guarantee that students can graduate debt-free, and that will really help our working-class and middle-class students, but also about stopping the end of exploitation of adjunct faculty so that we don't rely on what I call higher education's gig workers and providing them fair pay, job security, um, health care, you know, and pensions like uh, any full-time state employee um, should have. Okay. And does the bill that is going to distribute the new funds on account of the constitutional amendment, the fair share amendment, is that a different bill from uh, – the the reform or is it part and parcel of the same thing no i mean the the monies from fair share is just now it's just a it goes to the revenue stream although 
we will be supporting that um, that the money that comes through the fair share tax, which is a surtax on income, annual income over a million dollars, goes into its own fund, so that um, trust fund, a lockbox, we can call it, so that everyone knows how much money is in there and how, where the money has gone. Because there was a debate during the campaign um, that the money might be diverted to other uses. But fortunately, we've gotten clear statements over and over from the governor, from the Senate president, um, that every dollar of fair share will go to public education, pre-K through higher ed, and roads, bridges, and public transportation. So that's good. When do you expect, or will this just be an evolving story? But my question is, when do you expect to have some resolution about how much to transportation, how much to education in terms of the funds from the fair share amendment? So, Bill, there will there will never be, and I don't believe, a kind of a decision like X percent goes here or there. I think what happens is the legislature, in the course of the budget process and legislative process, will make priorities. And, um, and so they'll say, well, let's, you know, the Cherish Act, we would like to fund debt-free public higher education and, uh, and the other investments. Oh, and we also want to, we need to repair the T or we need to build rural, better rural bus service in Western Mass. So those priorities will then be draw on that money. But I want to say something which is important that as wonderful as it is, and I devoted a lot of energy and MTA members devoted a lot of energy to passing the fair share amendment. That's not the only source of funds. That's about $2 billion extra that we estimate will be generated from it. But the state, as we know, has also been doing wonderfully in terms of revenues and has big surpluses. So investments in transportation education will come from a variety of places and the fair share only gives us more opportunities. Tell us about other legislative priorities, please. Okay. Sure. Well, obviously a second one is really a budget priority, which is to make sure that they fund the Student Opportunity Act. That is the big high, the K-12 funding bill that we passed several years ago. And the legislature has been honoring that every single year, but we believe there are additional investments needed post-pandemic. More behavioral supports, counselors, nurses, librarians, um, and other, other elements that were made worse during the pandemic, including repair of our buildings. So that's the second one. That's our budgetary further K-12 investments all right so uh, actually I, I don't want to leave that I, I'd, I'd like you to drill down a bit for us because one of the aspects of the pandemic was the way it really did ravage uh, uh, community colleges in a number of ways and i'd appreciate if you could share your thoughts about that with us yes i mean all, uh the community colleges especially which is where um the greatest numbers of our working class students and students of color attend uh, saw huge declines as one might expect um, during the pandemic people uh, many many of our community college students work work extensively and go to school part-time family obligations and so when the pandemic hit um, they simply could not continue on with their studies so we prioritize investments in community colleges um, including of rolling out the debt-free proposal uh, for community college students first. And that is something that was highlighted by the governor and the Senate president. Uh, a key thing I think it's gonna be important is that making something debt, making college debt-free does not simply mean um, eliminating tuition, tuition and fees. To really make sure that it's possible for students, especially working class students, to go to college, you have to help support those students with 
um, support for living and transportation and and food um, or else they're, they're simply not going to be able to afford it or and will have Max, we just have about a minute left. Any other legislative priorities for the Mass Teachers Association you care to share with our listeners? Sure. Let me let me hire, hire, highlight two quickly. One is um, eliminating the high stakes testing system. And again, Senator Comerford, it will be a key sponsor. Will be the sponsor in the Senate on that. That is eliminating the punitive measures of our MCAS testing system. That is receiverships like Holyoke, the takeover of whole districts. It means ending the graduation requirement. We're one of only eight states in the nation that requires this standardized test as a way to graduate. So that's a huge one. And the final one I'll note is we are calling for a return of the right to strike for public sector workers. This was taken away, this human and labor right was taken away in 1919. And we think it is, uh, terrible bad for the public actually and one example i'll give to end is last friday our melrose educators uh voted to go on strike 99 percent voted to go on strike after 200 days of negotiations and they had an agreement by saturday afternoon so they actually did not need to um actually go out on tuesday this past tuesday because they resolved their contract but the pressure of that, the leverage um, was so crucial and it ended a 200 day long kind of community and uh, school conflict and got a better contract for all. We've been speaking with Max Page. This is our regular weekly segment with him, Your State, You. And in future segments and weeks, we're going to talk more about that proposal about the right to strike. I want to hear more about that, and I want to hear more about the reform of MCAS. Max Page, thanks so much for your time, insights, and insights. We really appreciate your being with us. Thanks so much, Bill. Have a good day. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Greenfield Savings Bank with offices all throughout Hampshire and Franklin counties. Greenfieldsavings.com. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Comedy as a Weapon presents Comedy for Cause, the Teacher's Night Out Edition, Saturday, January 21st at the Academy of Music in Northampton. Join comedians like Timothy Lovett, Kim DeShields, Maya Mannion, and nationally recognized star Hank Denson. Denson is open for comedy superstars like Jamie Foxx, Cedric the Entertainer, Amy Schumer, and Rodney Perry. Comedy Cause for the Teacher's Night Out Edition at the Academy of Music in Northampton. Doors open at 7.30 p.m., tickets cost $25, and will benefit the Literacy Project. Visit ComedyWeapon.com for more information. I'm not sure if opposites attract, but most couples differ greatly in their views about household finances. I'm Frances Rayum, the money doctor, with Hug Your Money. Money is a very volatile topic, and most seem to either argue about it or rarely discuss it. A sort of division of labor emerges, one partner becoming the steward of household finances, the other less directly involved. This arrangement may work until a stressor is introduced, college expenses, budgeting issues, impending retirement, etc. 
That's when sparks can fly. Each person's perspective is quite different, and it's likely only a short-term solution if any will arise. The Hug Plan presents an easy-to-follow, long-term solution that helps get both partners on the same page, alleviating stress and inspiring them to manage their finances successfully. I'm Francis Ray on The Money Doctor. We now offer advanced tools and financial coaching using our patented system, all under one umbrella. For more information and to schedule your free consultation, visit our website at hugyourmoney.com. Picture perfect days here in the Valley, and there's not a better place to celebrate those perfect days than at the Bridgeside Grill in Sunderland. The Bridgeside Grill has undergone a stunning transformation and expansion, and now it's time to revisit one of your favorite spots in the Valley. Check out the new and expanded bar area and dine by the warm and cozy fire. The Bridgeside Grill is open Tuesday through Thursday starting at 1130, Friday and Saturday starting at 8, and don't forget Sunday brunch from 8 to 2. The Bridgeside Grill, right in the heart of downtown Sunderland. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to you know, elicit fear and power and control by white supremacists. And it's not an issue that's going away easily. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is Artbeat, our weekly segment with our Artbeat, should we say, correspondent, Donabel Cassis. Donabel, the microphone is yours. Thank you, Bill. Good morning. Today's segment is actually going to segue Representative Sabadosa's topic um, just before Max. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention states that mental illnesses are among the most common health conditions in the US. More than 50% being diagnosed at some point in their lifetime. And of the 13.4% of Americans who identify as Black or African American, over 16% of them have reported having mental illness in the past year. Today, Springfield artist Ryan explores the stigma of mental illness in the Black community. He joins us today. Welcome. Hi, Donabelle. Thanks for having me. Ryan, why is this subject so important to you? Um, for me personally, um, I grew up Black in a predominantly white community, um, that being Northampton, uh, Massachusetts, which is about 20 minutes north of here. It's about 87% white. And in thinking back to the experiences that I've had, um, you sort of feel like an odd juxtaposition at times, and it can be a lot harder um, to find help that looks like you. Um, mm. So my work um, started to center around unearthing all these issues and uh, coming to terms with the fact that my experience was not that unique, um, that a mental health journey is the black mental health journey as a whole and you have to think about all these factors such as you know racism police brutality socioeconomic conditions mm, mm. now you use spray paint and stencils in your work can you tell us how these materials in essence 
sort of reflect some of the patterns of suffering um, that you talk about in your artist statement, which repeat themselves? Um, well, I just think that um, spray paint in general is a very unflinching medium. You see it like on the streets, it's very difficult to look away. Um, and I knew that in approaching this medium, I had to be as equally unflinching with um, my own subject matter. Mm, mm. Now the stencils too also, I mean, I'm really curious, your, your paintings are quite striking and you can't not help but look at them because they really demand your attention. And, you know, we are on radio, so I always like the artist to kind of describe what your work looks like and perhaps give us a little insight about your process, if you could, please. Yeah, sure. So um, I often grab my inspiration from, you know, things all around me, things that I'll either take pictures of or find in magazines and sort of create a pastiche of them mm -hmm. um, on the computer and then I'll separate that into layers and mm -hmm. then print out each layer. And here's where it gets really um, meditative for me, I guess, because I will um, spend hours upon hours of cutting out each layer meticulously by hand. Mm. And it's, um, it's a very careful and calculated process, which actually boosts my mental health in a way. Mm. Um, mm. And then each of those layers gets sprayed onto the canvas. Now, is the, 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 the way in which you spray on the layers, is that the intuitive part when you're creating your work? Or is there, you sort of organize these elements prior to actually placing them on the canvas or on the wall? Because I, I see that you also do murals. Um, and I know mm -hmm. right now that the show at Art for the Soul is paintings mostly. Yeah. the. Um, the show is actually, um, it's a lot of things. It's it actually goes back to um, some of my first works when I was still finding my footing and I was exploring all sorts of different mediums. You'll see some, you'll actually see some freehand stuff in there with acrylics. Um, mm, nice. Which more or less explores the same subject. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, I, um, I tend to, when I'm laying down my layers and spraying everything, um, there, there is a, a rhyme or reason to where things are located. Mm -hmm. Explain to me, what, what are some of the images that you choose from say the photography or um, stock images that you pick? Um, well, like I said, I draw upon um, like autobiographical experiences, uh, personal mm -hmm. experiences. So um, you'll find in a lot of my works, there are actually pictures of the schools that I attended like in the foreground or the background um, mm -hmm. to sort of set the stage. Mm. I'll also use um, oftentimes like blatant metaphorical imagery. Um, like I use the the elephant motif in my work as um, a way of saying, you know, this mental health issue is the elephant in the room and I'll often depict it as an elephant mm -hmm. uh, chasing me or chasing the subject. Mm. Uh, well, the show is called Bigger Than Me, and I find that quite provocative. Can you tell us about the title of your show? Yeah. Um, well, I knew in, you know, putting this whole thing together, um, I was 
literally, you know, dealing with an issue that was bigger than me. And in, um, it was as, you know, it was as relieving as it was scary uh, to know that um, this issue was all encompassing. And um, some of the, um, some of the best parts that have come from, you know, doing this show and, um, you know, I have people approaching me telling me about their own mental health issues, um, which has been great that mm -hmm. I can start that dialogue and get people comfortable, mm -hmm. you know, with sharing that. I mean, that's, that's gotta be pretty powerful because it really puts you in a place where you feel like you're not necessarily the only one. You're, you're, right. you're it's, it's comforting to know that there are other people with working with similar um, issues as you. And so I imagine that's kind of a sort of healing aspect of your work, I imagine. Um, mm -hmm. Now, how long is your show up at Art for the Soul Gallery, which if you haven't been, it's on Main Street in Tower Square on the second floor. This is a must-see gallery. How long is it up, Ryan? It's up till February 1st, so a couple more weeks now couple more weeks you've got to check it out um what's what's in the pipeline for you ryan i noticed i was looking at your insta page and you were just starting to be prolific quickly within a less than a minute yeah i um <laughs> you know the um it's a good question i guess some more uh, more murals more public works because i've been having a lot of fun with those lately well, Ryan Murray, thank you so much. We look forward to seeing your show and more of your work out there. So important and pivotal. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Donna Bell. This has been Artbeat. Hope everyone has a great weekend. We'll see you back here again on Monday. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. Skates cutting the ice and sticks pounding boards. The slap of the puck and a peel off the post. The chirp of the whistle and the blaring of the horn. Hockey is here. Tune in for all the sounds of the season right here on the UMass Sports Network. 1015, 1400, and 1240 WHMP. The Literacy Project is the place to go if you are an adult looking to improve your reading, writing, and math skills, or if you want help preparing for the high school equivalency exam and preparing for college. To find out about our free classes in Franklin and Hampshire counties, check us out online at literacyproject.org or call us in Northampton at 413-584-6755. If you want to learn, Literacy Project is the place for you. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station.